Thanks for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. And so in verse 4 it says, And David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and also David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadassar, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. So, verse 6, Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus. Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So, when, when you look at the, the, the land there of Israel right next to the Mediterranean, and because he now has that area of Syria to the north, he now has the coastal area of the, uh, of the Philistines. He has everything inward with that. These are all the trading routes. And so a garrison is nothing more than a fort, okay, uh, that you put forts in these places. And so when, when travelers would come, or more important, when traders would come, they'd be stopped by the soldiers there of David, and they'd have to pay tribute, they'd have to pay taxes, and this is how you would gain wealth in your kingdom. And so these are very strategic places to be. They don't have enough people to now go into Syria and that area and inhabit and push everybody out, but they have the muscle now to where they understand who's the boss and that this uh, nation belongs to Israel. So, verse 6, Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus. Syrians became David's servants, brought tribute, so the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Underline that. The Lord preserved David wherever he went. So, Verse 7, and David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants that had a deezer and brought them to Jerusalem, also from Batah and from uh, Borathah, cities of Hadadassar. King David took a large amount of bronze. So the gold and the bronze he brings back. Um, in verse 9, and when Toai, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadassar, then Toai sent Joram. Circle Joram for me. You're going to want to know this and see this. Then Toai sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadassar and defeated him for Hadadassar has been at war with Toai. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, articles of bronze. So because of what David has done with Hadadassar, uh, Toai has been in conflict with Hadadassar. And so because of that, he's now grateful of what's going on. And so he volunteers uh, just being a, a vassal uh, kingdom for David and is going to pay him tribute. And the name of his son Joram is very, very interesting here because if you go to First Chronicles 18, this tells the exact same story that we're going over here in Second Samuel. So in First Chronicles 18, in verse 9, it says, Now when uh, Tuo, which is Tuai, um, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadassar, king of Zobah, he sent Hadaram, his son, to King David. Now, Hadaram is a very interesting word. It's the same person as Joram here in, in 2 Samuel. But Hadaram, Hada, means exalted, okay? And it means that Hadad is also the word for Baal. So Hadaram means Hadad is exalted or Hadad or Baal is exalted, all right? Well, now... In 2 Samuel, that's changed. His name isn't Hadaram, it's Joram. What does that mean? It means Yah or God is exalted. 
it would seem that this pagan king renamed his son after the Hebrew God, so Toai and his kingdom were not only politically saved, but saved to become Gentile worshipers of the God of Israel. He changed the name of his son, or his son changed the name. Somebody changed his name. And now it reflects the glory of the God of Israel. Verse 11, then King David also dedicated these to the Lord along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, from the spoil of Hadadassar, uh, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So what does he do with all this wealth that he's coming back with? He's dedicating it to the Lord. He's dedicating it to the Lord. So David has conquest west in the battle with the Philistines, east with the battle of the Moabites, north into Syria, and now south into Edom. Verse 13, And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the valley of Salt. The, the Septuagint doesn't say Syrians there. It says Edomites. So, um, and the Syrians weren't known to be on that side, that south, on, on the opposite side of the sea, uh, the Dead Sea. So it probably is speaking of Edom because we go into that here. Uh, he also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. There's that word again, that phrase again, underlined, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Verse 15, so David reigned over all Israel. David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. And Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Sariah was the scribe. So, um, there's still one more verse, I know that. In Psalm 60, I want you to go over there. This was written at the time of, of David and his battles during this time. And in Psalm 60, David says this in verse 8. It says, Moab is my wash pot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Felicia Shout in triumph because of me. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Like, did you not go out with our armies? Of course you did, is what he's saying there. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. So, David wrote this psalm somehow during this time or right after this battle, these battles that, that have taken place. Basically what David is saying is that the people of Moab who have defiled and corrupted Israel before, I will wash my feet in them. There will be my wash pot. And, and then he says, um, uh, and, and he's going to take their land, and as we just read in verse 11 and 12, he's going to give the glory to God. When it comes to Edom, who are the descendants of Esau, who is the, the, the brother there to Jacob, Esau, as you recall, was willing to sacrifice his spiritual birthright in order to gratify the flesh. And the people of Edom have grown up with that same characteristic. They just want to pursue the flesh. And then to empty out dust in one's sandals over the head of another is an Eastern symbol of claiming a slave, meaning Edom is going to be a slave for us. That's exactly what takes place there. And the Philistines is either being spoken of sarcastically or the, the translation should be, uh, the Philistines, I will triumph over you. But I want us to see something here, going back here to Second Samuel. In verse Four here. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. Why would he do that? I want you to think of something. I want you to think of horses as power. 
I want you to think of horses like we have tanks today, okay? So the more tanks you have, the more power you would have, correct? The more powerful you would be, all right? Um, And yet, we find in Deuteronomy 17, where Moses, God is speaking through Moses, telling the children of Israel that when you go in the land and you have a king, he says this, You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. He does not say not to have horses. He says don't multiply them. Don't have a lot of them. Why? Because then that is where your confidence is going to come from. Look at all the horses. Look at all the chariots. Look at all the the machines of war that I have. Look at all my soldiers. Look at all of that. And then you become to have confidence in things. You begin to have confidence in your own power. I find it interesting that David would later write in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. It's almost like David was saying, you know what? Let's hamstring these horses. Why? Just think how we could use them. No, we're hamstringing these horses. We only need 100 of them, and we only need 100 of these chariots. We don't need all these horses. Well, why not? Because we're going to fall into pride. That's why. And when we are weak, he is strong. And if we don't have all these armies, if we don't have all these these horses, if we don't have that, you know what that's going to make us do? Rely upon the Lord. Rely upon the Lord. David would also write in Psalm 33, 16 and 17, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Here's one of the ways that Satan loves to bring a person down. Something that we always have to be mindful of after a great victory in the Lord. Satan really wants us to believe it was something about us. So you have to quickly, after a great victory, you got to give God the glory. You just got to give it over to him. The first strategy after victory is death to everything that could lead David to misplace his confidence. Death to all that. Death to all that. Second thing is, as the spoils come in, to want to have it all for yourself, to bring it my way, that God loves me this much, that this is what he's done for me, so he obviously wants me to have it. But David didn't do that. They were all dedicated to God. Thus, David understands that the battle and the victory belong to God. Third point that I see here, it says here that David made a name for himself. Okay? You have to be very careful when... You start to have recognition in your job. Fame somehow because of something that you did. It could be your, your 15 seconds of fame kind of a thing. W- w- what are you going to do with that? Are you going to hold on to it? Are you going to glory in it? Are you going to bask in it? Because I guarantee you the enemy really wants you to do that. This is always dangerous. Never to touch God's glory. This is why David writes in Psalm 60 verse 12, Though God we will do valiantly, for it is he who treads down our enemies. He knew that after every single one of these battles, it was the Lord, it was the Lord, it was the Lord. Look at all the spoil. Let's give it to the Lord. Everything was given it over to the Lord. And so we have this model this, that, 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 that we see here 
to try and destroy every false strength, to dedicate the fruits of victory to God and definitely decline the applause of men. And you know what the result is going to be? Verse 6 and 14. The Lord preserved David wherever he went. He preserved him. From what? Corruption. That's what. What do you preserve from? Corruption. Being defiled. Thinking he was all that. Obviously God picked me for this reason. And as opposed to going, no, I'm still a shepherd boy. God did choose me. For his reasons, he alone knows. But I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. So why would I act like I didn't receive it? That's what Paul would eventually say, like I mentioned before in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It was a gift. And he receives it, he acknowledges it, he understands. He's not gonna put false confidence in in things. His confidence is gonna be in the Lord. Because every single one of these nations, as we read in Deuteronomy, they're stronger than they are, they're mightier than they are, They're taller than they are. They have better war machines than they have. But the battle belongs to the Lord. And God is one that gives them victory. He gives them victory. Verse 18. Benaiah, the son of Jehoda, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. So as he organizes as he puts in place the men that need to be in the places that they are. We have here the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Interesting group of guys. These were David's personal bodyguards that Benaiah oversaw. But you know who they are? They're mercenaries is who they are. These people are from Crete, fierce warriors that somehow have made their way over, maybe during the time when David was, you know, um, a fleeing from Saul. We're over in the country taking you know, uh, seeing David, what he was doing, came alongside of him as mercenaries and, and fell in love with David's heart. But these guys are there to serve David and they're his bodyguard is who they are. And they're ruthless guys, but they come from Crete and they have given their whole heart to allegiance to him. But we have a guy named Benaiah. Benaiah is one of David's mighty men. I want you to go to 2 Samuel 23. I just couldn't wait to get there, Okay. He's like my favorite, Benaiah. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 8, here are David's mighty men and the great exploits that they did in order to earn the place that they're going to have in David's army and things like that. And you can read that on your own. We'll, we'll get to that eventually. There's amazing guys in here. But in verse 20, we have a guy by name of Benaiah. He's the son of Jehoda, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. So what that tells me is that when they were in the battle with Moab, that this is probably when this took place, okay? He killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day, apparently just for fun. You know, I don't know what the purpose of that was, you know, if some of the other guys, oh, dare you, see the lion in the pit there and knows how it's snowing and it's kind of cold, and I, I dare you to go down there and kill him. I don't know. have no idea how this takes place. But guys, we do know how this takes place. You get a bunch of guys who are just bored, you know, and, and they're supposed to stand guard somewhere and then they see something like that. It just takes one after another. Come on, Benai, you think you're so tough. Why don't you go down there and see what you can do with this lion? All right, I will, you know. It's like that dare thing. And he goes down 
and, and he kills it. And oh, by the way, it happens to be a snowy day, you know? And then verse 21, and he killed an Egyptian. And I love the description, a spectacular man. <laughs> who, who describes a person like that? Oh, have you seen Joe? Yeah, oh, spectacular. He's just a spectacular man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down with him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah the son of Jehoda did and won a name among the three mighty men. Now, I want, you, I want you to see how faithful this guy is. I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 1. We have Adonijah, who is one of David's sons, but the throne had been promised to Solomon. So verse 5 says, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? So he was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. And so he conferred with Joab. Joab is, is the general to David's army. Confirms with Joab, the son of Zariah, and Abathar, the priest. He's David's priest there in Israel. And he followed and helped uh, Adonijah. And then Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehoda, Nathan, the prophet, Shemi, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So they were loyal to David. They were loyal to David. And so they're not going to follow this other guy until David gives the okay there. So they're not going to follow after him. But Joab did. Some of his other mighty men did, like Joab. But Benaiah did not. And so it says here in verse 36, Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoda, answered the king and said, Amen, may the Lord God of the Lord King say so to you. So David tells him, uh, do not go out to uh, uh, Adonijah, um, that Solomon is going to be the king. And so Benaiah is there and he says, amen. May the Lord, God of my Lord, the king say so too. And the Lord has been with my Lord, the king. Even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. And so he does not go after the false king. He stays true to David. Unless David tells him to go, he's not gonna go. And then he tells him you're gonna go with Solomon. And so he does. Um, in 1 Kings 2, verse 35, it says this, the king put Benaiah, and this would be Solomon now, the son of Jehoda in the place over the army. The king put Zadok the priest in place of Abiathar. So Benaiah now is uh, the general of the whole army of Israel at this point. We see this faithfulness. Um, Benaiah, we're, we're told in uh, 1 Chronicles uh, 27, I believe it is, that he comes. From, he's a, a, a pyrethite from Ephraim. So he comes from the, uh, the tribe of Ephraim. And so we just kind of see his, his faithfulness. We see his faithfulness. And, and I love Benaiah. But I also like what I read in John Corson's commentary one time about Benaiah. And he says, Benaiah is a perfect example of what we need to do spiritually. So that got my attention. What, dude, what are you talking about? You know, and then he goes on and says, you know how in Ephesians 6.12 it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so he brings up Benaiah and says, Benaiah is a perfect example of what you're supposed to do when the enemy comes and begins to take his spear and jab you with impure thoughts, begins to jab you with uh, displeasing emotions, 
or whatever just got under your skin. You know, Satan's minions are just loving, you know, just to kind of poke you and, and make you feel worthless and everything like that. He says you need to be like Benaiah, and you need to wrestle that spear away from him by taking every thought captive, like it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. You take every thought captive when that thought comes into your mind, when that emotion comes to you and you're angry with that person, whatever the situation may be that you know is displeasing the Lord, you grab it right away. That spear is a post that thought. You grab it right away by taking ownership of it and saying, Lord, forgive me for thinking that way towards that person. And when you do that, you stopped the jabbing. But the way that you wrestle it away from him is after you take ownership and say, Lord, forgive me. And as you confess that, you've just wrestled it away. And the way that you stick it right back into his face is if then you turn around and begin to pray for three other people. And you know what you do when you do that? You advance the kingdom of God. How awesome is that? And I've used that so many times just in the way of counseling people. And when uh, you know, people call in on the radio. I always bring it back, and I, I'm always, you know, I always forget where David's mighty men is. And I'll usually have Joey go, Joey, look at Benaiah real quick on the computer. Where is that scripture? And, and then I can bring it up, you know, but for that reason, because I just think that is so appropriate. You know how you really annoy the enemy is when you're praying, and when you're praying for people, it's salvation for people. You're advancing the kingdom of God, and you know what that's going to show the enemy. Man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw that thought into his mind anymore because every time I do, he he asks God to forgive him, and, and then he starts praying. And I certainly don't want to advance the kingdom of God. And what's going to happen there? Hopefully, it's not that you stop praying, okay? But that the enemy is kind of going. You, you have a strategy now, man. This this boss of mine just gets under my skin every time he does. Ask God to forgive you for that. And nobody has to know, but you're praying as you're working for your coworkers and stuff like that. And I'll tell you what's going to happen there. For one, God is going to change you. And all of a sudden, that coworker isn't really going to get under your skin. That boss really isn't going to get, because you're going to start praying for your boss or that person that's driving you crazy or whatever. And as you do that, you, you no longer get annoyed by them. But instead, what's going to happen is that now you're going to actually feel empathy towards them and sympathy because you know the reason they're acting that way is because they don't know the Lord. And they're not happy, and so they're kind of taking that out on you. Well, it's not fair. It's not about fair. It's about that God has you there for that reason, to be a light and a witness. And to love them even when they're not being loving. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. So going through this, I just see the humility of David. I, I see that he gets it at this point, that the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm not going to trust in chariots. I'm not going to trust in that. I know this is all about God. You know, don't touch the Lord's anointed. We saw that earlier. He realized, I'll be king when I'm supposed to be king. I don't mean to be the one that takes him out, even though he's right before me right now, and I go, I could take a, uh, you know, a sword and, and cut off his head. That's not for me to do. I'll wait upon the Lord. Earlier on in his kingship, David was very, very wise. Very, very wise. And so there's things that we can learn from that. Don't put your confidence in things. And if there's too many things then get rid of it, hamstring it, get rid of it so, so, so your confidence isn't in those things. And make sure you, make sure that any spoils that come your way, you dedicate it to the Lord, and whatever maybe applause comes your way, you reflect it up to God. Amen? Never can the bowels of That's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. 
Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Music